Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, are you uh, recovering from your Thanksgiving uh, trip to fan hangover? Uh, yes. Thursday was, man, Thursday, it's always such a long day after you have that big plate, plate of food, but it's so worth it. But Thursday was the only day I really stuffed myself. I was responsible the rest of the weekend. So one day of stuffing myself past the point of no return, and then three days of recovery, and now good to go. Get back in a little normal routine before Christmas, and next thing you know, Christmas will be here. This, this like six-week period uh, from Thanksgiving to Christmas and New Year's, it always goes by in a blur. So I'm sure it'll be mid-January before we know it. It might be my favorite time of the year. I'm a big Christmas guy, but I do respect Thanksgiving to where I don't put up the tree. I don't listen to any Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. So our, our tree is already up. The Christmas music's already playing. So I'm in full-on Christmas mode. Christmas is my favorite holiday, but I at least have enough decency to give Thanksgiving its due. Let me ask you this. What color do you decorate the tree? Do you do lights? Like what, what Christmas colors do you use? Well, the fiance has her own tree and her own lighting fixtures and ornaments and stuff. I just help put it up. So she, she has all the say on that. And she's very, uh, she has a clean tree. I will say it's like, um, just green, white, a little bit of glitter on the ornaments. She has some like icicles and some berries. It's very, very clean. Not a lot of like mismatching or she doesn't like the mismatching ornaments. Cause when I was a kid, my grandma would always give me a new ornament each year and it was like sports related and they, they didn't really go together. She, she has none of that. So it's very clean is the word I would use. Yeah. Our tree is very clean, very classy. Uh, but we do orange Christmas. So we've got big bright oh. orange lights all over the house. We've got orange ribbon, orange, uh, orange ornaments all over the place. We, I grew up in my house doing Oklahoma State Christmas, and my wife agreed to keep that tradition going. So we've got full-on orange everywhere for Christmas every year. That is big time. See, I'm marrying a Sooner, so that probably wouldn't fly in, in, in this household. So Yeah, that's honestly, I think usually you're a pretty good decision maker. I haven't <laughs> met your fiance. I'm sure she's lovely, but boy, the, the, the Sooner aspect, <laughs> That'd be tough. I'll have to take a picture of my tree and tweet it out whenever we yeah, get done Yeah, you absolutely should. That, that's awesome. Uh, before we get to uh, talking o all things OSU, uh, beating Texas Tech, and, and everything else that transpired over the past weekend, let's get to the Christmas University spirit. They are, uh, they are kind enough, again, to sponsor the podcast. You can go to chrisuniversityspirit.com. Get all your holiday shopping done. We're almost into December. And all day, every day, they offer free standard shipping on orders over 50 bucks. And if you're a good shopper, you'll definitely go over 50 bucks. A good gift giver would do that. They have accessories. They have accessories for your car. They have kids' clothes. They got tailgating decor, hats, spirit wear, you name it. Chris University Spirit is your one-stop cowboy shop. So we, once again, we appreciate them sponsoring the pod. Uh, without further ado, Colby, let's get to OSU's win over Texas Tech. There's a lot happened in this game. And in true 2020 fashion, the Big 12 this year has been mostly defense, low scoring. So it's been bizarro Big 12 football, which is appropriate for 2020. But we had a good old-fashioned Big 12 shootout take place up in Stillwater. Yeah, we did. I, I kind of tried to tell everybody last week, and so did you, Alan Bowman's a lot better than this Columbia kid that they've been running out there. And I don't know why they went away from Bowman. I, I understand. Maybe you see something in practice. He wasn't real productive early in the season, but I think he's clearly better than the other guy. And he threw for nearly 400 yards, three touchdowns and a pick on Saturday. Thompson had a couple of big runs. I, I don't know about you. 
I thought the defense obviously made a couple big plays. Trey Sterling's pick six, uh, special teams returning the onside kick for a touchdown. But I thought there were times in that game where the defense looked a little bit gassed to me up front. Um, and they looked like they were getting moved off the ball more than we've come to expect up front. And just not, not quite the same discipline that we've seen on some of these runs. You know, the fourth and one early in the game that Sir Roderick Thompson takes to the house. He had another long run for a touchdown later in the game. So it was a, a different look, certainly, from the Oklahoma State defense. But, I mean, honestly, you, you get through a whole season, and this is really – um, I don't really fault the defense too much for the OU game. So this is the first game I would say that the Oklahoma State defense has really let a team go to work on them. Um, so all in all, it's a good win, but it it got really weird in the second half. Just the, the onside kick, the turnovers, the pick six, you know, being up by 19, and then you end up having to convert a third down late after Tylen bobbles the onside kick, which he never does. It just got really weird in the second half. Yeah, I'm glad you hit on the defense. That's kind of where I wanted to start it, too. And it really was a poor performance, specifically tackling, which has been the strength of this defense. And I think, you know, those opening touchdowns and in the way that the way Texas Tech really gashed them on the ground, I thought was was really startling. I mean, Oklahoma didn't run for 200 yards against Oklahoma State and Tech ran for 258. 258. And I, I do think, Colby, we're starting to see, you know, when OSU – their defense gives up something on the ground. It's usually an all or nothing. They usually stuff them or the biggest plays they've given up this year have been 40, 50, 60, 70 yard runs where they go untouched. And I think you're seeing offenses really use the aggression of Jim Knowles kind of against them in some ways. Like the, the, the two runs they broke off that were long were untouched because Knowles called basically a zero blitz. And I think I think offenses have now kind of learned the, the moments in which Jim's going to bring it, and they've kind of used their aggression against them. We saw that against Iowa State when Brees Hall broke two big long runs for touchdowns untouched. Um, so I, I do think the aggression has kind of bit them. But I, to your point about them being gassed, Colby, I thought it was strange that OSU kept going hurry up. And when you go hurry up and go three and out, two or three series in a row like they did uh, in the, to open the second half, I think that's kind of where you saw the, the defense wear down some. Yeah, and the reason that I said I thought they looked a little gassed, and this goes back to what you said, all year I've said that I love watching this defense more than any defense I've ever watched at Oklahoma State because they don't miss tackles. They, they are the most fundamentally sound tackling defense that we've probably ever seen at Oklahoma State, certainly in my lifetime, and they didn't tackle on Saturday. And, and I, I don't know what else to chalk that up to other than this team is maybe a little bit gassed. And, you know, OU last week wore them down a little bit in that fourth quarter. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson couldn't run the ball at all for three quarters and then nearly got 100 in the fourth. So I, I just think that they had started to wear down just a little bit. Uh, and back to your point about Jim Knowles, I'm curious to see how he adjusts now moving forward because, like you said, teams have started to figure out, you know, which formations they might be bringing everything with. And if, if you bring a, a zero blitz off the left side and they run it right, then Sir Roderick Thompson takes it 60 yards to the house. I mean, that's, that's just what's going to happen. You know, that fourth and one early in the game, he took the handoff. And, I mean, he had taken about three steps before I looked at my wife and said, that's a touchdown. I mean, you, <laughs> you had eight, nine guys in the box, and they were all behind the running back at that point. So it'll be interesting to see how Knowles adjusts to try to prevent some of those big plays going forward. No doubt. And I do think I have to credit and discredit head coach Matt Wells from, from Texas Tech. It was clear that he came to Stillwater to win. He came to pull out all the stops. He goes for it twice on fourth down that opening drive 
one of which, you know, inside his own 30. And I think he kind of came into this game, Colby, wanting to kick an onside kick early in the second half. I think that was his plan. But he completely misjudged the way the game was playing out. It was 24-21 Texas Tech. Spencer Sanders had thrown a terrible, mind-numbing interception, which he's prone to do. And then they had gone three and out twice. And Mike Gundy admitted after the game that Tech had started to take their will in terms of running the football. They had really seized control of the game. And I think Matt Wells went into the game planning on doing an onside kick. He just chose a poor moment to do it. Because even if, obviously, he doesn't expect OSU to recover it and return it for a touchdown. We all know that. But let's just say OSU recovers it, which is the most likely outcome of that decision. Well, then, you know, Spencer Sanders is reeling. We all know he's an emotional player. He gets the ball in the 50. That's automatically an emotional boost for Spencer Sanders and the offense. I thought that was just a horrific decision by Matt Wells and really flipped the game for OSU. Yeah, obviously, you you know, you try not to judge result too much because, like you said, nobody thinks that that ball is going to hop right up into Taylor, Jason Taylor's hands and he's going to take it back to the house. You, You just you can't expect that. To happen. Although we saw the exact same thing happen yesterday in the NFL. So it happened twice this week know, where a team tried that. an onside kick uh, and, it, and it went back to the house. But in that moment, I was so shocked that he decided to break that out because like you said, they had just taken the lead. They had all the momentum and Desmond Jackson w- was unbelievable in the running game. But I didn't think Oklahoma State's offense at that point in the game was just certainly going to go run up and down the field on Texas Tech. So I thought it was odd timing to do it. And I love a good surprise onside kick, but it, it is a matter of picking your spot. And, and that clearly was not the right spot. You hate to, to judge the result. But also, you know, Oklahoma State's defense, despite the game that they had on Saturday, still a pretty stout defense. Even if you recover that onside kick, there's no guarantee that you're not going to go three and out and have to punt it away anyway. So – You know, had they scored there to cut Oklahoma State's lead to 10 or something, I think maybe that's the perfect time for a surprise onside kick. But where it happened was a little bit odd, and they, in the span of about three minutes, went from having a field goal lead to being down by, uh, what was it, 11 points after the the return and then the pick six. So it backfired in a major way on Matt Wells. To borrow a term from Mike Gundy, uh, lack of recognition of game flow. As you mentioned, the game flow was totally in Texas Tech's favor. So I I thought that was a terrible decision. I'm with you. I I don't know how in the world you play the Columbia kid over Alan Bowman this long. I know Bowman's been banged up and had injuries, but they they clearly went with Columbia because he's he's a Utah State guy where Matt Wells was from. I think think in a lot of ways Bowman was some sort of scapegoat for Matt Wells and tried to go to him, but clearly he's the best option, and he had a lot of success. And I I did think they they kind of picked on – Bernard Converse quite a bit there on those on those crossing routes to kind of extend the lead for for Tech or to get the lead there in the second half. But uh, what'd you make of, of Mike Gundy's end of the first half? I think it's a it's a tale as old as time where OSU will get the final possession in a, in a first half, and Mike will try to sit on it, and the running back will happen to get a first down, and then he changes his mind, and just it was a bit of a calamity there to end the first half. What'd you think of uh, the time management there for OSU? Yeah, I had two problems with the way the first half ended. The first was they clearly came out and they were just going to kind of see what happened. I I didn't feel like there was a plan. I didn't feel like there was a plan in place to go score. 
And with the amount of time that you had left, I can't remember exactly how much time was on the clock, but I remember thinking to myself, okay, you've got plenty of time. This isn't one of those like 22 seconds on your own 20 yard line situations. They had plenty of time to try to move the ball and go score. And, and I thought, like you said, they were just kind of going to run the clock out. Oh, and then they get a first down and they decide maybe they want to go try to score. So that was my first problem. I didn't feel like there was a plan. My second problem was not with Mike Gundy. It, it was with Spencer Sanders because on the final play of the half, Spencer Sanders elects to take off and run from the opponent 45-yard line instead of heaving one into the end zone. Dude, I don't care how elusive you are. They've got eight guys back there. You're not running it in from the 45-yard line. Scroll, Scramble out to your right like you've been doing all game. He had plenty of room over there to roll to his right, chuck it up in the end zone, and give one of the best receivers in college football a chance to make a play. Uh, I thought it was pretty boneheaded to take off running there and not to let it fly. I, I mean, are you worried about your stats at this point? Are you worried that another <laughs> interception might pop up in the box score? Because that's about the only interception you'll throw that we won't fault you for. Right. No, I, I did not. I was stunned when he took off to run and, and he even had an ch- opportunity there to pitch it too. He didn't, he didn't do that either. Yeah. So that was just kind of a yeah. calamitous into the first half. And, and I understand you get the ball back to start the second half. And I do also understand Colby, you know, they kind of bobbled the kickoff uh, inside their own 10 that probably pumped the brakes a little bit for Mike. Yeah. They, they had just fumbled as well. So I, I, I kind of get that instance, but we've seen this really for, for years and years and years. So it, it really came as no surprise to me. Uh, you mentioned Spencer Sanders. I, I thought he played really well in this game. We're going to get to Desmond Jackson in just a minute, but I thought Spencer Sanders played for the most part under control, didn't force the issue. And then there's that one pass Colby where he's, he's backpedaling, he throws across his body and it, it wasn't even, it's just, it's one of those things that he's just done his entire career. And this was his, I have the stats here. I believe this was his 16th career, 15th career game. He now has 16 career interceptions and he's thrown at least one interception in 10 games in his career. So it, it's just, it's not getting fixed Colby. I, I thought he played a great game, but you're always going to have that. Yeah. But with the, the mind numbing interception that he threw. Yeah. You know, I love Spencer Sanders and I thought he played a good game. On Saturday as well, I thought the plan was a lot better. They got him involved in the running game quite a bit. Uh, Now, obviously, he had that 33-yard run at the end of the first half, which boosted his stats a little bit running the ball. But he had a rushing touchdown in the game, you know, dove for the pylon. That was a nice play. But once a game, like you said, once a game, he does something, and and you just think to yourself, that is the, the tape that coaches everywhere will use to teach their quarterback what not to do. He does it once a game uh, against Texas. It wasn't even the interception he threw against Texas. You remember it was down by the goal line whenever he rolled left, spun, threw back across his body into the middle of the field. And the only reason it wasn't picked is because two Texas guys deflected it from each other. <laughs> and, and then he kind of does the same thing Saturday against Tech. He's rolling across his body to the, to the opposite sideline, rolling to his left. I mean, throw it out of bounds. I, I know it's third down, but it's not there. How often do we see great quarterbacks – just chuck one out of bounds on third down because, you know, it beats throwing a 15-yard interception, which is what he did. So it's – and you know that they talk to him about this stuff. You know they're coaching him to make better decisions. And then he gets in the game, and for whatever reason, he just – once or twice a game, he just doesn't see it right, and he does something that just makes you shake your head uh, and and wonder what exactly he was looking at on that play. But all in all – 
Uh, I'd say I'd give him about a seven out of 10 for the way he played on Saturday. Thought for the most part, he threw it and ran it pretty well. Uh, the interception was a, a big careless mistake. Uh, and then I think the decision at the end of the first half to run, like I said, you know, you're probably not going to complete a Hail Mary, but at least give yourself a chance. So just for those two plays, I think I'll give him probably a seven out of 10 for Saturday. Yeah. And I think I'm totally with you on everything you just said. And I just think the discouraging thing now is still the best game in his career is the Oregon state game, which was his first career start. You're just, you're not seeing the development of a player that now has 15 games under his belt. He's making the same mistakes that he's made throughout his career. And I will, I will give Spencer uh, credit for or slack for this. He's on his third quarterback coach. He went through Mike Yersich, Sean Gleason. Now he's on Tim Rattay. So that's three quarterback coaches in three different years. That's three different voices, three different opinions in your head when you're trying to play quarterback. I'll grant him that. I'll grant him the offense. And offensive coordinator. And offensive coordinator. And I will grant him that, yeah, now Casey Dunn as the offensive coordinator as well. And I will grant him that, you know, the offensive line has not been good under his under his tenure, but neither was Mason Rudolph's. And Mason Rudolph got better and he just he put up monster numbers and didn't have these these types of mistakes. So a lot of it's on him too. I, I will I will grant him those caveats to his career thus far. He's had injuries, but the, the offensive line and quarterback coach is not an excuse to try to make the home run throw that has just plagued his career. So that that was the, really the only the only knock on him in a game that I thought he played for the most part uh, pretty well. Uh, before the game, Colby, we learned that Eldie Brown and Chuba Hubbard were out, and all of a sudden you're like, uh oh. How are they going to run the football with that offensive line with a Desmond Jackson who's only played in mop-up duty? And lo and behold, Desmond Jackson had 135 yards in his career. He runs for 235 and, and three touchdowns. What would you make of his game? Oh, he was unbelievable. And it, and it wasn't even that. I mean, they clearly told him, you're the guy, you're the workhorse. That became even more apparent after Dominic Richardson fumbled, lost a fumble in the first half, the freshman out of he – was, he was McGinnis, right? Bishop McGinnis, yep. Yeah, Bishop McGinnis for Dominic Richardson. He fumbles in the first half and loses it. I mean, Desmond Jackson carried it 36 times. He had two <laughs> catches in the passing game. That I mean, that's 38 touches in a game for a running back. That is a full day's work. And he lived up to the billing. I, I know Tech's defense uh, is by no means good. They're one of the worst defenses in the conference. That being said, Oklahoma State has struggled to run the ball. And Desmond Jackson all day, I thought, saw the right hole, hit the right hole, made good moves. Um, obviously, you got to hang on to the ball there late in the game. That could have been potentially very costly. But, I mean, Desmond Jackson, I thought, was incredibly impressive, uh, wildly exceeded my expectations on Saturday. Yeah, me too. And – I'll say this, the offensive line blocked so much better for him in that game than they have really all year. And I think Mike Gundy said that for the first time in a long time, they had all five offensive linemen practice together all week. So that made a big difference. He had some legit holes to run through that Chuba and LD have not had. That being said, and I thought Casey Dunn reiterated what I thought watching the game. You know, Desmond Jackson's no frills, man. He sees the hole, he cuts into it, he he gets upfield. There's no... There's no shimmying. There's no second guessing. There's no dancing at the line of scrimmage, trying to make a, a cut outside the tackle box. He was decisive and effective. And I think that's kind of what this offensive line needs. I mean, I, I think Chuba and LD at times have been seeing ghosts in terms of, well, I got to make something happen here because the lane's just not going to be there. And I think that's where Jackson really excelled was, was see the whole get up field. And 
you know, he's a junior college transfer and he had offers from Utah and Kansas State, among others. He just reminds me so much of a Kansas State junior college running back that's just no frills. He's big. He's strong. He runs through the hole. Who was the Kansas State running back last year that just destroyed Oklahoma? Uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, Barnes. Yes. Yes. He reminded me so much of Barnes in the way he played against Texas Tech. And so give him a lot of credit. Give the offensive line a lot of credit. Uh, did you happen to see Desmond Jackson's Zoom interview? Did you see his arms? I did not, know. He looks like an NFL running back already. He's, he's huge. <laughs> so, And I liked what I had seen from him and what little we had seen, but I'd be lying if I said I thought he was capable of that type of performance. Yeah, I mean, in, in small bits, he had looked good. I mean, he'd averaged over seven yards a carry coming into the game this week, but it's like, you know, that's mostly mop-up duty. He's not playing many meaningful snaps. Um, but, man, he looked great on Saturday. And I'm curious, uh, you know, and I know we're going to get to this, Tevin Jenkins shut it down to go to the NFL. I, I don't still know what Chuba is going to do or how hurt Chuba is. LD Brown, I would think, would probably want to come back next year uh, and be presumed the starter. But it'll be really interesting to see what happens just over the next two weeks. You got two games left. What happens? Who, who takes the snaps at running back? Desmond Jackson just went out and had your best running back performance of the season. I don't know if those guys come back. Has he earned himself more snaps to where we could see a three-headed monster in the backfield? Well, especially considering, you know, the health status. I mean, give me 100% Desmond Jackson over, you know, 40% Chuba Hubbard, 50% L.D. Brown, whatever percentage they're at. Now, if those guys are healthy, obviously you can mix all three in, and that's a that's a luxury you can have. But I, I think the most important thing and the most, you know, encouraging thing is that the running game is not just going to go away next year because you were kind of that was a legit concern with Chuba's status going to the NFL LD Brown we don't know what he's going to do and then you're down to a Juco guy who hasn't played hardly at all so I think that's encouraging moving forward mostly yeah it is and he's I'm looking here yeah he's a junior and obviously this year of eligibility won't count against him Um, so theoretically if he wanted to stick around for two more years Desmond Jackson would be allowed to stick around for two more years after this one um, and, and kind of take the reins for Oklahoma State. It really is amazing. Oklahoma State has turned through some really good running backs, and every time you think, man, they're not going to be able to replace this guy, they always seem to. It was Joseph Randall. It was uh, Desmond Rowland had a few good years. Chris Carson, Justice Hill, Chuba Hubbard. Now L.D. Brown and Desmond Jackson are really starting to come on. It, it just seems like there's always another guy at that position in Stillwater. So it's been impressive what they've done at that position. Yeah. And I think, you know, Marcus Arroyo really brought in some elite talent with Justice Hill and, uh, and obviously Chuba, Chuba Hubbard was recruited by everybody in the country. So I was concerned. Uh, I didn't think Wozniak had quite the running backs coach at OSU had brought in quite the same level of talent lately, but I think they're starting to obviously the Juco helps with Desmond Jackson. I, I do think that's encouraging moving forward. Because I, I kind of thought the cupboard was going to be totally bare after Chuba left with the way they had recruited on on uh, at running back. So maybe Wozniak has some more guys coming in this year. I haven't followed the recruiting too closely, but uh, that, that is cons- uh, encouraging moving forward. But one of, the, one of the stories of the game for me, Colby, was Tylen Wallace. I mean, I, I've said it many times on this show, he makes more catches that you turn to your friend next to you and say, there's no way he caught that, right? What's the ref talking about? Like there, there was no chance that ball was even going to land in bounds and he comes down with it. He had another monster game and made, made really just some, some catches that won the game for OSU that he had no business making. And I'll say it again. 
Only two wide receivers have won two Blitnikoffs, Michael Crabtree and Justin Blackman. And Tylen should have won it in 2018. He didn't play for Alabama, didn't have as good a season as a team. He was well on his way to winning it in 2019. That's the caliber he is. He is that good. He is two Bolitnikoff worthy good as a receiver. Obviously, he didn't get the votes. He had bad injury luck. Those are the breaks. But once again, Colby, this guy just proves to be one of the best receivers in OSU history. Yeah, he makes more. I call him, did you see that, catches than just about anybody. And the reason I call him that is because every time I watched an Oklahoma State game, Saturday we were at my wife's aunt's house. Um, you know, they were doing some Christmas stuff, and we were watching the game. And as soon as, you know, there were a couple catches in that game that he made, and, and I looked at people around me, I said, did you see that? You know, people sitting, they scroll through their phones, like, did you see that? Right, you better watch the replay. He, he makes so many of those catches that you, you just – you need to see the replay. You need to see it again to see exactly how he brought it down, stayed in bounds, all of it. Uh, he's really impressive, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know where he ranks all time at Oklahoma State. For, for me, it is so hard for anybody to get inside my top three in Oklahoma State history, <laughs> and it's in no particular order: Justin Blackman, Des Bryant, and Hartley Dykes. I think those three are just so hard for anybody to, to jump up and get past those guys. But man, Tylen, I, I don't know. I would have loved to have seen. Tylen full, fully healthy all last year. And, you know, if he could have been on one of these Oklahoma State offenses that has uh, one of these air raid quarterbacks throwing for 450 yards a game, who knows what he could be in terms of statistics at Oklahoma State. I, I don't know. Would you put him ahead of any of those three I just named? I think it comes down to personal preference. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's Justin Blackman's not only the GOAT receiver at OSU, he's the GOAT receiver in history of college football for me. So it, it's tough to get to number one spot. But I'm glad you mentioned this because I too was curious with him missing most of last year what his per game totals would look like ranked against all those names we just mentioned. And yards per game, Tylen Wallace is number one in terms of games played. He averaged 94 yards per game so far. That's ahead of Justin Blackman, Rashawn Woods, James Washington, Des Bryant, and Hartley Dykes. Now, Blackman and Des were number one and two in terms of touchdowns per game, followed by Rashawn. And Tywin was, was last among those in terms of touchdowns per game. But it's all pretty close. I tweeted out a graphic. You can go look at it if you'd like to, anyone listening, and, and Colby as well. But I think that illustrates how dominant Tywin's been when he's been on the field. He averages the most yards per game receiving of all those big names. Yeah, and I hate to even compare the receivers at Oklahoma State and try to say that this guy ranks ahead of this guy because, you know, you play in different eras, you play with different quarterbacks, different offensive lines, different systems. You know, some guys are in an air raid, some guys are in a more ground and pound type offense. So it's so hard to compare, and it, it kind of does come down to personal preference. Uh, if you're going to throw somebody out there, who do you want? And I, I still think, my top three would be Blackman, Dez, and Hartley Dykes. Um, and then I would probably have Tylen and Rashawn slotted in just a hair below those three guys. And, and then in that next tier is where I would put kind of James Washington, Adarius Bowman. Um, but, man, there have just been so many good ones, so many great ones come through Oklahoma State. It feels, it feels wrong to have to rank some of them behind others because – They've just all had such great careers. So I was talking about running back and the, the production at running back. Seems like they do the same thing at receiver. And I, I don't know who the guy is behind Tylen. Usually, you know, as, as James Washington was leaving, I think we kind of knew Tylen was going to be that next guy. 
I don't have a great feeling right now that we're going to be able to immediately identify that next guy in still one. That's a concern. I mean, I like Dylan Stoner. He's, he's not in this caliber. But uh, if I had to rank it, though, Colby, I go Blackman one, obviously. And the way I look at this, I look past the numbers. I just say, who was the best receiver with physical tools? And if I had to get a first down or a touchdown, who am I going to? So I would go Blackman one, just his production and dominance is something we've never seen at wide receiver. I mean, he really was like a Derrick Henry type in terms of physical dominance on the field. So I go Blackman one. I go Des Bryant two. I mean, his his ceiling was probably highest among anyone in terms of his physical abilities. People forget he returned punts as well in an electric fashion as well. He returned punts for touchdowns. But I go back to his 2008 year. He had 1480 through the air, 19 touchdowns through okay. the air. Just unbelievable. So I, I go Des two. And I, what Rashawn Woods was able to do in a less miles offense is staggering. He was he's third in yards per game. He's ahead of Tywin in touchdowns per game. Rashawn in any of these offenses would be right up there. I just think Tywin has more tools. I go back to that touchdown he had against Iowa State last year where he he caught the short screen pass and, and stiff-armed the dude out of this dimension. I go Tywin three, I think, just in terms of his raw ability th- uh, on the jump balls, on the short routes, his physicality. Just in terms of playing the position, I think I got to go Blackman, Dez, and Tywin. I think I really do the more, the more and more I think about it. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that at all. I'd be curious uh, to know what some of the listeners think. Tweet us, let us know. Um, well, the I'm olds, the olds are going to pound the table for Hartley, like yourself. Well, and man, I love Hartley. In any time I go back and watch any old Oklahoma State games from when Hartley was there, the dude is just tough to cover. And uh, you know, injuries, a couple of broken kneecaps, an ACL, I think it was in the early '90s, derailed whatever he could have been. As a pro, Bill Parcells loved him, said he had rare hands coming out, and we never really got to see what he could be in the NFL. But it's just – you remember the time Des Bryant raced Bullet? Yeah, I do. Oh, my God, that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I forgot that about that. Yeah, that, that was fantastic. And one, one more note from this list. James Washington played in 51 games out of 52 available. The guy wow. was durable as heck. And obviously he put up some monster numbers and, and I like, I would have liked to have seen Tylen running all those deep routes that, that James got to do with, with Rudolph and, and Rudolph never got enough credit for how good he was at throwing the deep ball as well. No, that's so. what I'm saying. Washington played in an offense that passed for 400 yards a game and Tylen plays in an offense that throws for 200 yards a game. So it's just, it's so hard to compare. Yeah. It's just, that's the problem with comparing teams from different eras and players as well. So uh, let's get to, believe it or not, you know, Kyle Boone on, on Pistols Firing, you know, you read his column each week on Mondays. He puts out a, a really fun column called Believe It or Not. And I kind of wanted to go over some of his and, and get your take on it, Colby. Uh, Desmond Jackson, RB1. Believe it or, or, or do you not believe it? I do not believe it. I do not believe that uh, one career day against probably the second worst defense in the conference vaults you from rb3 to rb1 yep i, I would agree I, look i i do like it and I, I go back to the health status if he's 100 and chuba's 50 and is looking has eyes towards the nfl i'm going with desmond but 
I think if you give Chuba Hubbard the lanes that that Desmond Jackson had against Tech, he, he takes a few to the house. I go back to that game against Texas when Chuba had that play where he, he put his hand on the ground and cut back and, and took it to the end zone. That That's the level of play that you get out of Chuba when he's right. So I'll, I'll say no as well. Uh, quarterback position could be a problem in 2021 and beyond. Believe it or not? Believe it. I definitely believe it. I Right now, you've got Shane Ellingworth and you've got Spencer Sanders. I think it's pretty clear that Mike Gundy is not 100% committed to either guy, which to me would make both guys nervous. And with the freedom players have now to transfer uh, and get on somewhere else, I, I don't know if both of those, those guys will be competing in the spring for a job. They might not both still be here. If they are, do we still think that either one is – I mean, we know Spencer obviously is really good – but he still makes a lot of mistakes. Do we know if he's good enough to win a conference championship, even if he's able to play? Um, what would he have, three more years of eligibility since he doesn't lose one this year? I, I don't know if we know that. So I would say believe it. I think quarterback could be an issue for Oklahoma State for a couple years. I believe it as well. I think it shapes up to me a lot like the Clint Shelf, J.W. Walsh eras, where I, I could see Mike Gundy kind of rotating both. <laughs> Remember in 2013, the, the season opener against Mississippi State down in Houston? Shelf starts, he's named starter. He plays, I think, two series and then gets yanked for the rest of the game for J.W. Walsh. That was a one of that's in the pantheon of Mike Gundy's confusing quarterback decisions. And I kind of see it playing out like that, where a guy may be named the starter, but if he doesn't play well for an extended period of time, Gundy will, will go back and forth. Which with these two guys, I think that's a big problem because your offense radically changes with each guy. You know, Illingworth obviously is the the stand-up prototypical pocket passer that you see with air raid type systems, which they've kind of gone away from in recent years. And Sanders, you have to utilize his legs if he's going to be the quarterback. And so, I don't know, Colby. I, I just think OSU's best offenses have always been the air raid with a pocket passer. And I, I do wonder if Mike has somewhat realized that, if he's if he's grown frustrated with his quarterback time and time again getting hurt when he's had a running one. You think back to – all the injuries JW had, obviously Zach Robinson, now Spencer Sanders. I don't know. They're going to have to decide what type of offense they want to run next year, first and foremost. Yeah, you're right. It's two very different styles. And, and that means that I don't know that you can wait until a week before the season to decide who your starter is. And, it, man, you're putting a lot on your entire offense, all your different position groups, O-line, your coaches and everything. If you have a starter and a backup, that you have to have two completely different offenses for, two completely different styles for. That's, I mean, that's two playbooks you've got to learn. That's a lot of different signaling. It, it's a different style of blocking for offensive linemen if you know your guy's going to be standing still versus if you know that he's going to be constantly on the move. So it's a decision that I think is going to have to be made sooner rather than later. And let's be honest, do we trust – uh, Mike Gundy to make that decision and have it be the right one when it comes to the quarterback? I think the answer is probably no. So uh, quarterback is a – it's a huge concern for me moving forward, not because I, I think that they don't have the guy on campus, just because we don't know who the guy is. We don't know who Mike Gundy thinks the guy is. We don't know what the offense would look like under either guy. So I think there are a lot of questions to be answered at that position before the start of next season. Um, and, and then I guess once you answer them, you hope you got your answer right and you move forward with your, forward with your guy. Yep, no doubt. And obviously, Illingworth was out on Saturday with uh, testing positive for COVID-19, so he wasn't yep. even 
he wasn't even available against Texas Tech. We'll have to see if he's available uh, next week at TCU. But you mentioned a little earlier, big news uh, for the OSU offensive line. Tevin Jenkins has announced he's he's leaving the team to get ready for the NFL draft. I think NFL Network's uh, move the sticks. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah ranks him as the number five overall offensive lineman in the league. And I, I know people, some people were like, man, you quit on your team, man. I, I don't, that's a selfish move. I, I don't blame him specifically because he's had so many injuries. He's battling a back injury currently. And I, I will never fault a guy for trying to improve his, his NFL draft stock. Now, if you're, and there's also the flip side that they're still essentially playing to, to get into the big 12 championship game. I understand all those things, but uh, it's, it's hard for me to, begrudge a guy from from getting his body right to to go make millions of dollars yeah I don't blame Tevin Jenkins at all and I think if you are upset about this I hope people understand that these are not decisions that these athletes take lightly you know Rashad Bateman at Minnesota opted out to get ready for the NFL draft now Tevin Jenkins is opting out to get ready for the NFL draft and I think some people look at it as selfish. And, and I just think that that's kind of an outdated way of thinking. These are not decisions these guys take lightly. Th these guys are a family. They go to battle together each and every week. And it is hard to make that decision to get yourself ready for the NFL and leave your college football team. That's your family. Those are the guys you've suited up with now for four years. And that's a hard decision to make, but it, there's just too much money on the line with the amount of injuries that he's had to battle through this season. And if his body is already half broken down, then you're running the risk of a more serious injury. If you play these last couple games and, and look, you can say they're still playing for a big 12 title. If you want to, we all know they're not their chances of getting there are about 1%. So at this point you're playing to what hit, hit the Vegas win total. I mean, Vegas had the win total at seven. Is it worth, potentially hurting yourself and losing out on all that money so that you can, you know, hit the win total? Probably not. Uh, he probably wouldn't play in the bowl game, even if they decide to go to one. I think the whole bowl season might get scrapped anyway because of COVID. So I, I understand that some people, you know, want you to stick it out to the end. But with the, the injuries he's dealt with and his body already being half broken down this season, I don't blame him even for a second for deciding to get ready for the NFL. No, me either. So as I mentioned – I think when OSU got drubbed in Bedlam, everyone just kind of wrote them off for the Big 12 championship game. OU can actually win out from here, and there's still a scenario in which OSU can make the Big 12 championship game. There is. And there's so many tiebreakers. There's even a scenario, Colby, that OSU could lose their next two games and still make it in the Big 12 championship game. Barry Trammell wrote a great piece about it. Marshall Scott wrote a great piece about it on uh, Pistols Fire and Glog. So you can go check all those out. But essentially, Colby – um, OSU fans need to start rooting for West Virginia. If they beat Oklahoma or if they beat Iowa State, OSU's in. If they went out, break out the blue and yellow, baby. Break out the blue and yellow. Break out the Davy Crockett coonskin hat. Break out the muskets. I mean, that's their hope, Colby. They're, they're not yeah. done yet. Yeah, I would say, look, all the most likely scenarios are that Oklahoma State don't make it. Um, I just kind of gave my opinion on what I think their chances are. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think your best chance is for West Virginia to beat Iowa State. I think OU really has it rolling right now. Um, it could happen. I, I don't know. Carson, I am just so conditioned 
to assume that whatever good can happen for Oklahoma State, the exact opposite actually will happen. I'm just so conditioned to that <laughs> that I'm just assuming that Oklahoma State's basically been eliminated from contention. But that's just the pessimistic sports fan in me. Uh, you know, at the end of the year, only one team gets, a, gets to hoist a trophy. Everybody else uh, gets to look up at them and wish it was them. And usually, more times than not, Oklahoma State's one of the teams looking up, wishing it was them. So, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've been conditioned into pessimism through a life of being an OSU fan. I don't, I don't blame you. You know, Squinky is still alive and, and real, so I, I'm with you. They're, they're definitely on the outside looking in. Oklahoma certainly gets – and Oklahoma has a lot of the tiebreakers. It really has to break uh, totally correct. There's even a scenario where it comes down to margin of victory or scoring margin, and OSU would be third amongst Iowa State and, and Oklahoma in terms of the scoring margin between those three teams. So they're still on the outside looking in, but uh, they are not done just – yet let's get to the chris's university spirit uniform review brought to you by chris's university spirit your one-stop cowboy shop on campus corner go to chrisuniversityspirit.com get all your holiday shopping done early uh colby they went with the uh orange helmet orange jersey white pants with the new osu logo instead of the retro one they used that helmet for in homecoming uh, i think last year the year prior what'd you think of the look it was a little clemsony to me yeah, I thought it actually looked pretty slick. Did you have our predictions from last week recorded? I couldn't remember exactly what my prediction was, but I thought I had some sort of combination of orange and white guess. I thought you went black, orange, black. Maybe I did. I cannot remember for the and life I went, of me. I think I went orange, orange, black, and I got the pants wrong. So I think we were – we both got the jersey correct, but I think we uh, – and I got the I got the helmet too, so I might have just nipped you just slightly. But I might have to check okay. the tapes. But I, I recall – I think I remember you picking that because it's one of my favorite combos they can wear at home. So Yeah, you might be right. We recorded last Wednesday. It was a little early in the week because of Thanksgiving, so I couldn't remember. You've had a lot of turkey since then. <laughs> You've had a lot of turkey since then. A lot of tryptophan between now and whenever we made these predictions. I thought they looked pretty slick. I saw somebody – uh, I can't remember what where it was, ripping them, saying they needed to be burned. I didn't mind them. I, I thought they looked pretty good. Uh, I'm I'm always usually a fan of the orange, though. I think the orange always looks pretty good. So um, probably wouldn't crack my top five uniform combinations at Oklahoma State, but I thought they looked good. Yeah, see, I, I'm a fan of the black. If When you just go orange and white, I, I tend to not be as big a fan. But I did see a lot of positive feedback nationally for the helmet. A lot of people liked the helmet. They thought it popped on TV. I thought it was a clean – a clean look. Yep. And again, I, I like when the helmet and jersey match and the pants are a different color. That's always a good a good way to, to develop the uniform as well. And uh, did you have a uniform Heisman? I had a submission from – I got. let me scroll through my mentions here. One guy I liked, uh, Dominic Richardson, the freshman, rocking number 20. I got to think he'll take number two next year because that's what he wore in high school, and that number will obviously be available with uh, Tywin moving on. So I had a submission for uh, Dominic Richardson. Uh, that was from Marshall Scott from uh, Pistols Firing Blog. He, he, he submitted Dominic Richardson. He said he had a lot going on accessory-wise, and he was looking for that in the uniform Heisman segment. So uh, I like that. I thought Dominic Richardson looked pretty good. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, as I was watching throughout the game, I just kept seeing Calvin Bundage come around the edge, and he just kept reminding me of Von Miller. And I'm <laughs> like, you know what? I've got to give Calvin Bundage – my uniform Heisman. I, I thought if anybody made life miserable for Alan Bowman, it was Calvin Bundage. Uh, you know, I know he didn't record um, all the tackles and everything that like Amen and Trey Sterling and everybody did. 
Uh, let's see, Calvin Bundage on the day Saturday only had two tackles, but he did have a sack, a tackle for loss. Uh, and I think if you were to go back and watch the game and look up like quarterback hurries and pressures, Calvin Bundage had a bunch of those. So I'm going to give it to Bundage. I like it. We hadn't heard Bundage's name in the last few weeks. He hasn't been hurt or anything, has he? He just hadn't made the big eye-popping plays that he usually makes? Yeah, no, just hadn't been doing as much. Yeah, so we hadn't heard his name in a while, so it's good to hear him, and him coming off the edge will we'll never get old. Let's get to uh, Bullets and BBs, Colby. I forgot to put this on the rundown, but I'll, I'll probably start it here. So I'll give you some time to uh, come up with your Bullets and your BBs, our, our helmet stickers for good play and bad play. My first bullet is going to go to Trey Sterling, who had – one of the best games you'll ever see from a safety. He had nine tackles, one and a half tackles for loss, two fumble recoveries, and a pick six. I mean, that is getting it done at the safety position. And again, I I can't recall. You probably have to go back to some of the Pat Jones teams in the 80s to, to find a safety duo like Trey Sterling and Colby Harvell Peel. Peel was all over the place again uh, against Texas Tech. But I just I love Trey Sterling. He's a great player. I think he's been banged up too. Gundy mentioned that in his post game. Maybe that's why he didn't play as well in Bedlam. But uh, I got to give a bullet to Trey Sterling. Yeah, that was actually going to be mine uh, because he was so phenomenal on Saturday. And what I particularly liked from what Gundy said after the game about Trey Sterling, he did say he practiced twice last week, which is up from once a week practices he has been doing because he's been baked up. But what I like that Gundy said is. But right before the series where he got the pick six, he was on the sideline and he told the coaches that if they run the same route concept again that they had just run, that he was going to intercept it and take it back to the house. And then on the next trip, what did they do? They ran the same route concept. He jumped underneath it. He picked it off. He took it to the house. That is knowing your opponent. That's being prepared. I mean, that's the work that you put in Monday through Saturday. And then you go out and you recognize something. And you go out and you make a big play at a big time in the game when your team's leading by one possession. So I thought Trey Sterling uh, was unbelievable. Uh, but I will give my bullet, since you gave it to Trey Sterling, I will give it to Desmond Jackson. Did have the late fumble, but he was, I mean, he was unbelievable all day. Touched the ball 38 times, 36 carries, averaged more than six yards a carry, uh, three touchdowns. He had 235 yards, Carson, and his longest run of the day was 23 yards. So it wasn't like, you know, he had one 85-yarder uh, that, that you know, kind of tweaked the stats and the average and everything. Just all day, he was pretty solid, you know, seven yards, eight yards, six yards, 11 yards, all day long. So my bullet goes to Desmond Jackson. That's a good one. Uh, for my BB, it's kind of related to Desmond Jackson. I think I'm going to lump both head coaches in here, Matt Wells, for the decision to not play Alan Bowman all year. And Mike Gundy, again, I, I didn't make a big deal of this on Twitter when he said it because, you know, people think I just despise Mike Gundy. That's not true. I'm a fan of Mike Gundy. I love what he's done as head coach. So I didn't want to make a too big of a deal about it when he said it. I couldn't believe he said it, though. Desmond Jackson, you'll remember, takes the knee. He falls down when he, when he could have scored a touchdown, which essentially ended the game, which I thought was a great decision because you score there. Of course, you go up two scores, but then – Tech gets the ball. They could onside kick. A lot of things could happen. Granted, you're probably still going to win, but it extends the game, point being. Well, Mike Gundy was asked about that play after the game and, and said that he didn't tell Desmond Jackson to do that. Nobody did. And he would have preferred Jackson score because it would have made it a two-score game. And he, he, in his mind, that ends the game. I just I think this is a glimpse at just a lack of recognition of being of being the CEO and head coach here. I mean, how can you say that you would have rather him scored? 
the game is over. The second he touches the ground, you kneel it, it's over. I, I could not believe Gundy acted like he was kind of upset about it, quite frankly. Did he really say that? He said that. I could not believe what I was listening to. That's what he said after the game. So I, I gotta give a BB for the the lack of just recognition of of game of games of game strategy by your head coach. I just, I couldn't believe he said it. I am so glad that I didn't see that and that I just found out from you that he said that because I might have led the show off with that if I had known. That is so incredibly stupid to say that he should have scored there instead of ending the game. Tech was out of timeouts. You're you're inside two minutes. The game's over. They took two knees. They didn't have to take three knees. They kneeled it on first down. They kneeled it on second down. They went out and shook hands. The game is over. That's, I mean, that is basic. Day one, any high school football coach in the country knows to fall on the ground there. That is wild. I can't believe I missed that. That is I, wild. I couldn't oh, believe man, you said that, it. Maybe, maybe I'll tweet that out just so people know that it happened. But, uh, maybe. Also, by the way, Oklahoma State won by six. Desmond Jackson did take that knee inside the five-yard line. It was the difference. I didn't have money on the game. But anybody out in Vegas, I'm sure, was very interested in the end of that game because Oklahoma State was a 10.5-point favorite, maybe an 11-point favorite uh, by the time it closed. And Desmond Jackson taking the knee as opposed to scoring there did determine uh, who covered in that game. So Tech did get the cover. Yep, that was uh, that, that sports books probably erupted on that play, that play yep. alone. Uh, okay, so I've got two bullets – or two BBs, pardon me. Uh, we'll give a third. I'll give one to Gundy for that too. That's nonsense. But my bullet, <laughs> my BBs – I hate to do it to him because last week I gave him a bullet. He was so good. My guy Brady Pohl comes out. He runs out for a 33-yarder to open the game. Misses it wide right. Later in the game, he misses an extra point wide right. You end up winning by six. That could have been so, so huge to have the missed extra point and the missed 33-yard field goal. So, unfortunately, I have to give one to Brady Pohl. And the second one, that I'm going to give out, Carson. You talk about some absolute nonsense. The Big 12 Conference one hour ago tweets and says, Latrell Bankston registered a career-high five tackles and two sacks in Iowa State's 23-20 victory at number 20, (laughs) Texas. His first sack of the day was in the first half and stopped a Texas scoring drive. Latrell Bankston is the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. Trey Sterling quotes it on Twitter and says, well, this is awkward. You read off Trey (laughs) Sterling's stats earlier he had nine tackles he had a pick six he had uh what'd you say one or two fumble recoveries two had two fumble recoveries had one of the best individual days that we have seen a defender have in a long long time and somehow somehow the big 12 decides that latrell bankston is the defensive player of the week and i don't know how they came to that conclusion utter nonsense so i'm giving a bb to whoever at the Big 12, whoever votes on these things, decided that this guy was the defensive player of the week and that it wasn't Trey Sterling. That's unbelievable. That I, I had missed that, but that that's just – I don't know who makes that decision in the Big 12 offices, but that that's that's egregious. I don't know how you look at that and, and give it to him. So we'll give Trey Sterling Big 12 player of the week. Yes, uh, he's pistols firing Big 12 player of the week. Absolutely. All right, Colby, uh, any more thoughts on the game before we get to one interesting thing? Oh, man. It was a shootout. For some reason, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech refuse to play anything other than a shootout. These two teams (laughs) meet up, bet the over every year. Doesn't matter what's happening. Circumstances are irrelevant. Bet the over. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought there were certain points in that game that that OSU was going to lose. I didn't think they played really well, uh, def certainly defensively, offensively at times. But give them credit, man. They found ways to win and just in crazy ways with the interception and the, and the kick return uh, off the onside kick. So you win. And again, I think that was a tough spot too, Colby. I mean, coming off the bedlam letdown, you're down your two tailbacks, you're down your best offensive lineman. Morale had to be at an all-time low. And to come out and, and get a win, albeit against an inferior tech team, I, I think you, you chalk it up ultimately as, as a good solid win, despite how it how it played out too. So, without further ado, let's get to one interesting thing, Colby. I'll, I'll start. I'll go with the NFL. I mean, Tyree Kill is proving to be one of the best players in the entire NFL, regardless of position. He had 13 catches, 269 yards, and three touchdowns against Tampa Bay. Uh, what this guy's doing is simply incredible with Patrick Mahomes. And I lump him in with Tyron Johnson, who, again, made a big play this week. He uh, had a, a big Hail Mary catch. I don't have his stats quite in front of him. And he had over 100 yards on three catches. So those are two guys that I feel like were, were mostly underutilized in Stillwater and are having – Tyreek's having an all-time NFL career, and Tyron Johnson's kind of found a niche there with the, the Chargers. It's good to see both those guys play well. Yeah, it really is. It was wild watching what Tyreek was doing yesterday in the first half. It's uh, man, he is just so so fast, and it's it looks so easy for Kansas City on offense. Mahomes just takes the snap, and either somebody's immediately open, or it takes somebody five seconds to come open, and he just backpedals, 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 and then chucks it and puts it in the perfect spot every single time. Um, I mean, I, I truly think that we're watching one of the greatest offenses in NFL history right up there with the 07 Patriots whenever Tom Brady had Randy Moss I think this is that caliber of offense I mean Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are numbers one and two in the NFL in receiving yards wow yeah it's unbelievable it's unbelievable That's amazing so, uh my one interesting thing for today Oklahoma State basketball is two and oh on the season they uh sneak one out against UT Arlington last week they beat Texas Southern by 20 at home on Saturday, but our first glimpse of Cade Cunningham, just pretty solid the first two games, not going out and going crazy. Uh, I think it's really tough to judge against UT Arlington and Texas Southern, but, you know, against Texas Southern, 20 points, five rebounds, four assists, two steals, two blocks. That's kind of what we were told about Cade Cunningham. He can do a little bit of everything, shot almost 60% from the floor, 50% from three, made all five of his free throws. So, uh, Cade Cunningham, I watched both the first two games, and I will continue to watch every time I can that he takes the floor. Pretty special to have what is probably the number one overall pick in the NBA draft in Stillwater, uh, and I'm excited the basketball season's underway. The word that comes to mind to me when you watch Cade is, is smooth. I mean, he's just a smooth 20 points, the, the, the two games that you watched, and he's, he's huge. He's like 6'8", handling the basketball. I mean, this guy just looks the part, and – I tell you what, Colby, too, the more you listen to people who cover the NBA draft and write about the NBA draft, they're not just saying that this guy, Kate Cunningham, is the number one pick this year. They're, they're starting to talk about him in terms of some of the best prospects they've ever graded. He's already, I think, graded higher than Zion Williamson for a lot of people entering this season. So that's, that's the level of player we're going to watch in Stillwater this season. I, I think it's important to note this isn't just the number one pick this year by virtually everyone. It's it's really 
shaping up in terms of the hype and, and the credibility from people I respect as a generational type player. So I cannot wait to watch him more and more as the season progresses. Yeah, like you said, every, every expert that I've seen and read said, you know, this year's NBA draft, uh, not really a, a go-to guy that you think can come in and be a franchise player and you can build your organization around. But just wait until next year for Cade Cunningham because we're going to have that guy. And it's just, man, it, it's wild. It's wild watching that guy go out and suit up for Oklahoma State. It's, it's the kind of guy that forever we've seen play for Kentucky and Duke and Kansas and North Carolina, and now that guy's in Stillwater. So uh, I know it's still football season, but I know it's just Texas Southern, but watch this guy every chance you get. This is special. Absolutely. And so we, we still haven't heard on the appeal from the NCAA, but if, I mean, I'm not sure we will. Who knows? So we'll I hope we don't. Up. Postpone it until summer. <laughs> exactly. So hopefully uh, they can get through this season and compete for not only a Big 12 title, but a, a national championship as well. And hopefully Kate can end up on the Thunder. Thunder are shaping up to have the worst roster in the NBA. They're definitely going to have a top five pick. They're going to have a lot of picks they could trade to move up to number one. So that's going to be a lot of excitement too, even when Cade's done playing. Maybe he'll get to continue his play in the state of Oklahoma. So, Colby, I appreciate it. We'll uh, get back with you on Friday, and we'll, we'll preview Oklahoma State's game at Fort Worth against Texas, uh, against uh, TCU. But I uh, hope you're uh, recovered from your trip to fan hangover, and we'll get back with you on Friday. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Two more to go. It's winding down. We'll see you then.